0: on life Hello, welcome to Lucas on life and at last it's here Christmas Eve all of the preparations hopefully the decorations are up and the tree hasn't fallen over you've got all of the gifts sorted And if you've got people coming, maybe lots of food preparation as well. Did you know in Britain, the average person chomps their way through a whopping 7,000 calories on Christmas Day alone? No wonder it's rumored that King Henry VIII passed a law back in 1536 forbidding his subjects to eat pies or desserts on Christmas Day. And rumor has it that the law has never been repealed. So perhaps technically, all that scoffing is rather illegal. So forget all the preparations as we celebrate Christmas Day tomorrow. Let's think about how we might make the most of our reflections, our thanksgiving, our prayers this coming Christmas Day. So, with Christmas Day just hours away, let's think a little realistically about the reality of Christmas. Strange things are said and done when Christmas comes around. Recently, I was served a cheeseburger by a deer. The management of my local fast food eatery had required their smiling staff to wear large scarlet antlers festooned with blinking fairy lights. Very nice. As for background music, a track from the compilation playlist, now that's what I call music to go mad by, was warbling. Christmas is a time for us to be together, a time for us to love each other, and the music and the wildlife together conspired to create a warm, ambient atmosphere conducive to the season of goodwill. But Then I glanced around the restaurant for confirmation that people were indeed loving one another, a rather stone-faced lady and her hat-wearing husband sat silently at a corner table. There was something vaguely menacing about the way she tore tiny carnivorous bites out of her burger a la Hannibal Lecter. Occasional frosty glares were exchanged, palpable tension crackled between them like static electricity. And hark! Over yonder in the other corner, another chirpy family outing unraveled as a manic infant on Duracells swirled milkshake around his head, gloriously baptizing nearby tut-tutting tables in strawberry blobs. Suddenly, the gap between the image of Christmas as it's supposed to be and the reality of how it often actually is, it yawned before me like the Grand Canyon, Is that gap part of the reason why some find the whole business of Christmas somewhat challenging? Because let's face it, marital tensions, life-draining diseases, and worries about redundancy are pressures that don't take time off for Christmas, politely disappearing for the cheery season and then popping back after Boxing Day. The idea of a happy zone magical season can taunt us with its sheer unreality – especially if one is required to share the festivities with distant family members who irritate you massively even before the king has barely begun his afternoon national chat. The unreality has spread to the reason for the season itself. I've had a few Christmas cards this year where artists have daubed the traditional nativity scene in unrealistic colours, tarting it all up with a false garish glory. You know what I'm talking about, a surreally calm Mary, who apparently chose to give birth while dressed from head to foot as a blue nun, glows with soft fluorescence, courtesy of a goldfish bowl-shaped halo. And then Joseph, he's usually absent from the scene. Perhaps he's out the back trying to straighten out a wonky coffee table that he made earlier. And then baby Jesus, himself adorned with a junior-sized goldfish bowl, is sitting up already and appears to be thanking the wise men for coming to his party. All rather good for one who is but 30 minutes old. Grinning cattle peer at the family from neat hay bales that whiff of Chanel No. 5. And there is none of that substance, the polite term is the inoffensive cow pat, inoffensive unless your name happens to be Pat, That is usually in abundance when cattle are around. Of course not. Even the old carols suggest a scene of blatant unreality. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying, he makes. Really? Why wouldn't Jesus cry then? Perhaps it alert all and sundry to the fact that he needed his swaddling class changing with a raised hand of blessing rather than a heartfelt scream, him being the Son of God and all. Now, please don't think that I'm being irreverent. No, on the contrary, I just think we need to discover the real beauty of Christmas, which is that it's so profoundly ordinary and yet mingled with the miraculous, with angel song and gathered shepherds and wise men and all of that. You see, the irony is that Christmas is about the story of the extraordinary God kissing a very ordinary world. The true splendor of the nativity is the notion of a God landing without much fanfare or fuss, welcomed by a few night workers and traveling mystics. The king shows up in squalor. Like a heavenly bungee jumper, he shunned the pristine order of heaven to dive down into our sweaty, confused, fog-bound world and announced a new order of living. Christmas says that we no longer need to haul ourselves heavenward by our own bootlaces, but that God comes to rescue those who whisper him an invitation. Christmas, it's really about the God who is willing to close the gap. As we think about Christmas Day that comes in just hours, let's remember that this is the time of the year when we celebrate the God who makes promises and he keeps them. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Micah promised that he would come and even identified the town where he would be born. In Micah 5.2, we read, You, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And then in verse 4 of that same chapter, Micah says, He, speaking of Jesus, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will live security, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Matthew, in his gospel, he's writing for a Jewish audience, and repeatedly throughout that gospel, he wants them to know God promises things, and he really keeps his promises, even though there might be seven centuries of waiting. In Matthew 2, we read King Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, Matthew is saying, look, God is can be trusted. It came true. Don't miss this. It's exactly as predicted and promised. Now, why Bethlehem? Well, surely Israel's greatest king prior to Jesus coming was David, who himself was a shepherd boy and who came from Bethlehem. And now the greatest king, the king of kings, is born there. And then there's a beautiful additional touch because Shepherds attend the birth of the good shepherd, we read in Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. These shepherds were probably in Bethlehem, which is really just a suburb of Jerusalem, perhaps because they were tending sacrificial lambs that would be offered in the temple. Let's think about that. These who looked after sacrificial lambs now go to visit the child who was the Lamb of God, born to take away the sins of the world. And also, these shepherds, they were outsiders. They had a terrible reputation. Shepherds had a terrible reputation. They were outcasts. They were not allowed in the city walls. They were not trusted by the general public. And they were not allowed to give testimony in the law courts. How typical of God that he comes to those who are on the outside. But all of this makes me wonder, what do we think when we think about God? The writer A.W. Tozer said, "'What comes into our minds when we think about God "'is the most important thing about us.'" Now, we might say, well, when I think about God, I think about the God of the Bible. I think about Jesus. But the truth is, we don't see him perfectly. Our perception of him, our vision of him is imperfect. And incomplete, it's like a patchwork quilt of a 1,000 sermons and 10,000 worship songs and 20,000 conversations, our upbringing, our church experience. No, we don't see him exactly as he is. 1 John 3 and verse 2, When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So why don't we, this Christmas, ask God to give us A very specific gift, and that is a greater understanding, a clearer picture of who Jesus really is, perhaps asking the Holy Spirit to refine our understanding of God and maybe get rid of some false perceptions of God that have developed over the years. You see, the truth is this Jesus, this good shepherd, he's the good and beautiful shepherd born for us. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Did you know that when Jesus said good shepherd, he did that first of all because, as I've mentioned, shepherds were bad, so he's the good shepherd. Samaritans were generally thought as bad, so he tells a story about a good Samaritan. But the word he uses there is the same word used to describe the temple. In Mark 13, the disciples said, Teacher, what beautiful buildings these are. And wonderfully, Jesus describes himself as the beautiful, beautiful shepherd. He is amazing. He is wonderful. He is faithful. He is forgiving. He is kind. He is patient. We are under his care. Micah 5 says he will stand and shepherd his flock. When tomorrow comes, in opening the presents, in preparing the food, perhaps in gathering with friends and relatives, let's be sure to worship and praise the good, the beautiful shepherd. You know, as we've been thinking this Christmas Eve about the day to come, as we've been thinking about the good, the beautiful shepherd, may I remind us all that we, as followers of Jesus, are part of his flock eternally. It was Micah again who said, you Bethlehem, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And listen to these words, whose origins are from old, from ancient days. You see, Jesus didn't come into existence when he was conceived or when he was born, but Jesus has always been. He is the eternal one. In Hebrews 13, we read, Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. Eternal. Some of us approach the day to come with mixed feelings— Perhaps this is the day when we especially look back and remember happier times when the gathering around the table included those who are now not with us. May we be comforted by the truth that this is not all that there is, but there is an eternity to come, and in Christ, the reunions will be sweet. And then, for all of us, in the baubles and the blur that is Christmas. Let's not miss the point of it all. Our world is not abandoned. God refused to just watch us from a distance. Christ has come. So tomorrow, let's give ourselves the luxurious gift of 10 minutes to ponder that wonderful truth and unpack it with gratitude. And to quote a song immortalized by Judy Garland, Have yourself a merry little Christmas. And as Judy sang wistfully, from now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Out of sight? I'm not sure about that. But may God's peace, grace, and indeed strength be ours for Christmas and the new year. Have a happy, thoughtful, and peaceful Christmas. Lucas on Life.